what happens tomorrow night? Hanukkah, right? So I got to start off with a couple dad jokes. Where do the penguins go to celebrate Hanukkah? To the icebergs. To the icebergs. Okay, here's one of the hit. The icebergs are a very good Jewish family. Okay, here's one that'll hit everybody. Where do you go? Where do you find? Where are you going to find dreidels in a gym? Spin class. There you go. I'll spare you any more. Yeah, there is. There is a God. He's going to stop. Please make it stop. Now you know how my children feel. What did, uh, my, my daughter Rose said, I said the other day, a dad joke, and she's like, it, it doesn't turn off. So Hanukkah begins tomorrow night, and Hanukkah is a very greasy festival, right? You got latkes, you got uh, the donut, what is it, sofignot, is that how you say, what's the, what's the, sorry, the donut, the, uh. Sasonio, yeah. Yes. Sonia. Yes. It's it's Krispy Kreme. It's Fritter. It's uh, all that fun stuff, all the stuff we like, right? This is basically, this is the festival of the Fry Daddy. So, and it almost seems like this festival is something that would have originated in the South by all the foods that we eat, right? So... Like, I know it all came from the South, but you got the fried Snickers. Okay, who's raging? Who's done fried Snickers? Fried Oreos. How about a fried cheeseburger? Fried cookie dough? They have fried Pop-Tarts. And they have, uh, yeah, that's some really strange ones. And, and yes, these are unclean, in case you were wondering. Believe it or not, you can look it up. There is uh, somebody did a fried tarantula in Texas. And I don't know if that was a failed experiment that just got a lot of press or if that was an actual thing. I, I, I didn't dig too far into it. The French did that. <laughs> the French did that? Yeah. Oh, yes. And then, of, of course... Uh, you know, bacon is fried, but they deep fried bacon also, right? We've had fried butter, fried strawberries. And uh, somebody, I saw a post that said uh, when marijuana is legal in the South and they had deep fried marijuana. <laughs> so when I first moved here, I had a friend, I was talking about all the fried food, and he basically said, if you can eat it, we can fry it. And I've come to realize that's not far from the truth. And as far as food goes, it seems like this celebration is like the antithesis of Passover. Passover, we're being really careful, we're cleaning things out, we're being very restrictive in what we eat. Here we're like, oh yeah, just throw it in the fryer, bread it, powder it, throw it in the fryer, we're good. <laughs> 
but it's really this uh it's really focusing on the oil so a lot of the information i'll be sharing this morning is from uh i got some from an article that hebrew for christians did and also from our own holy sale wine of course the creation gospel and just a note Hebrew for Christians, John Parsons, I believe, is his name. And I'll tell you this, I don't know John. I don't know a lot about his ministry. I will tell you I've been very blessed by what he's had for so many years. Matter of fact, being able to go up and do the, uh, to, because, you know, I can't read the Hebrew, but being able to do the shofar blessing, I actually got off that off of his website. He's got just really, really good information. I know he's got a real active ministry, and I can't really speak to that because I don't. I read a, f- a few articles here and there, um, but I've I've been really blessed by by his work. But John is actually just went into the hospital with COVID, and they're scanned. Yeah, he's got his oxygen levels are down. So you just join me real quick for to lift up a brother, Heavenly Father, merciful King. We lift up. Our brother John, Father, to you for healing, Father, for his ministry, for his family, Father, that you would be with him, Father, that you would be mighty, Father. You put that lion in his lungs, that you would bring him out, Father, mightily to be a witness for you. We thank you, Father, for all the work that he has done. Father, we can just look forward to the work that you will continue to do through him and his ministry. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen and Amen. Thanks. So we know Hanukkah, which we're going to celebrate next week. I'm trying not to get all Mark's message next week. But we know that the Maccabees fought and won a great battle with a, against a great army to reclaim God's holy temple. And, of course, they rededicated it, a process which took eight days. And like I said, the details of that will actually be next week with, with Pastor Mark, which will be, I think it's the 7th day of Hanukkah or 6th or 7th by the time next Shabbat comes around. So Hanukkah, the expectations of Hanukkah in the first century with Yeshua. Remember, the one thing we do see that scripture in, uh, was it John 10 where it says that, uh, that he was at the, fe- at the temple at the Feast of Dedication, right? So he was there. And there was a deep expectation, a messianic expectation of that time. And if you think about it, the zealots, the zealot party, that's what they were really all about. They were about trying to overthrow the government. They really wanted to to rule and reign. And if you think about what the Messiah will do, right, he's going to come down and he's going to rule from Jerusalem with a rod of iron. We've got that messianic, that King David expectation. Well, they kind of like had a little victory in that regard in the Maccabees uh, a few years earlier. So they saw this as kind of like that messianic expectation that King David is going to come back and he's going to reclaim the temple and he's going to kick out the nations and the paganism and all that other stuff. So that was really going on. Also, along with that, like we alluded to earlier, Hanukkah every year, even though it jumps around a little bit depending if whether it's a leap year or not, it always falls around the same time in our Torah cycle. It may not be the exact same Torah portion, but there's three Torah portions that will hit, this one and the next two, and they all have to do with Joseph. 
and definitely, you know, our Jewish brothers know that, that Joseph is a, a big picture of Messiah that they were looking forward to. There's another picture that the Hanukkah is actually picturing Mashiach. And some of the sages in the back even tried to look back to say, okay, Hanukkah happened when? Where, what kind of time period? Was it in the Old Testament? It was, it was after the, uh, the Tanakh or the Old Testament, right? It's kind of like that, what we call it, intertestamental period before the, the writing of the Brit Hadashah and the, uh, and the Old Testament. So because it happened after that, they said, well, is there any seeds, is there any implications that this was going to happen actually in the Torah? Did you know they actually found at least two? That's pretty cool. So Hanukkah, we know, is known as the festival of, right, the festival of lights. And it begins when? What's the date tomorrow night? The 25th of Kislev, 25. So do you know that if you actually start in Bereshit, you start at the very beginning of the Torah, and you count forward, the 25th word of the Torah is or which means light, from Genesis 1-3 that says, let there be light. Another part that they saw was when we're talking about, because it's a festival, right? So you think about festivals in Scripture, and you're going to teach somebody about the festivals in the Scripture, and you're going to bring them to what book? Leviticus. 23, right? That's where all the festivals are listed. We start off in Pesach and we go all the way through the calendar, right? So where do we end up at the end of that list? Right? The last great day, Sukkot, we're finished with that, which was the last thing we just celebrated, right? So the next thing we're in right now is we're going into Hanukkah. Well, the very next thing you read after talking about Sukkot is in Leviticus 24, 1 and 2. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp that a light may be kept burning regularly. The menorah, the dedication. So they really saw that tying, that, that little inkling that the father had actually put that, embedded that in there because he knows the end from the beginning. So oil and light, I'd say oil and the light that's produced from that oil is our primary focus. Yeshua spent his time on this earth being the olive that was crushed and bruised in order to produce the precious oil that would heal many and bring salvation to mankind. Amen. But in his return, he is no longer a crushed, bruised olive, but a burning flame. Revelation 12, I'm sorry, Revelation 1, 12 through 16. Actually, Mark just ministered on this, uh, I don't know how many weeks ago. But this is John seeing Yeshua in that state. 
that says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstand was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long white robe, with a golden sash around his chest. His head, the hairs on, of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his hand, in his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face, his face was shining like the sun in its full strength. Now that is a menorah lit. Amen. And remember, I remember reading, you know, in Christendom, the idea of the menorah. It's a lot better picture over here. But the idea of the, the seven lampstands is not seven individual lampstands. It's the idea that Yeshua is walking amongst the menorah. It's in a chad. All the parts of the menorah, even though we speak of them in our different parts, just like the seven churches or the seven assemblies we see in Revelation, even though they are unique, they have their unique jobs, they are still one body. They are still echad. The 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 brothers, even though they had different destinies that we're going to see in the end of Genesis and then again in Deuteronomy, they each have their own part and their own role, but they are still one people. They are still in echad. We can't separate them. So Yeshua was full of purified oil that is sacrificial love. If we are to rule and to reign with him, we need to have oil to burn. It's kind of like his time on earth. That's our role today, to be that. If we want to be that future state, that ruling and reigning with him, alongside of him, we have to also have that oil in our lives. So if you want to think about the dry bones, uh, stuff that has been coming out again and again, that oil is that moisture that permeates and brings that life back into those joints, right? We get to the creaky joints, we get to like the tin man, what do we need? We need some oil. And they put a little oil in there and get it exercising. So another thing that Mark's preached a lot about before is the ten virgins. They all had oil. But five didn't have enough. As disciples of Yeshua, we're going to be squeezed from time to time to give up some of that precious oil. And this is not a one and done process. Even though we wish it was. <laughs> Squeeze me once and I'm done. But he's going to continually to squeeze us. But it's the idea that we are, it's kind of like having a, a, a good bouncy ball that you, you squeeze. And as soon as you release, that it comes back to full shape. The idea is that we're going, we should be a point where we're refilling. We're being refilled with oil. So when we squeeze again, we do that. We don't want to be that when you squeeze it and it keeps that squeeze shape. That's a dry olive. That was the picture of the five foolish versions. They squeezed that olive, and oil, they had oil, but when it came for more, there was none left. We have to have that reserve, amen? We are to be plump, fat olives because Adonai is the one who nourishes us through his word, 
through prayer and through tending our menorah. So, how do we tend our menorah? We tend it with the same things that Tammy has been emailing every morning. Holisa's got books and books about it, but it has to do with a picture of the menorah and the spirits of Adonai. So the first branch on the menorah is, come on, I know more, wake, wisdom, okay, we need more class participation. I know you guys get the emails. So wisdom in Hebrew is chokhmah. And wisdom in this regard in Isaiah, where this is found in 11, it's not exactly the same wisdom that we would normally think. Wisdom, how we usually use the word, would be something that's gained over a lifetime. And it's the, you know, the old man on the mountain that's been there, done that. He knows all. That's wisdom. This is not exactly the same wisdom. I'll give you a couple uh, scriptural references so you can see uh, the difference. So Exodus 31, 1 through 5, this is when they were actually building the tabernacle. And we uh, know a character by the name of Bezazel, who is going to be one of the artisans, the chief artisans to build it, right? So it says, the Lord said to Moses, see, I have called by name Bezazel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to every craft. So where do you think wisdom is actually, which English word of that was actually translated as wisdom? It actually was ability. When it says that he gave him this with the ability and intelligence, basically that was his skill. Another one talking about the same idea of building that tabernacle in Exodus 35, 26, we talk about the women. It says, all the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill, skill again was chokhmah, which we say wisdom, spun the goat's hair. So it's the idea is that if you have a craft, if you have a bent, that's what that is really more speaking to. It's something that's kind of that the God has emplaced in you. It's part of you. We always talk about raising a child and the way he should go. And Tammy is exhorted to say that's raising a child and they're bent. What is their gifting? What has God emplaced in him that's unique that you are going to develop? That would be the same thing as chokmah. It could also be the idea of uh, intuition, that kind of natural gut feel that you discern, like, mm, that's not right. Or this, this feels good, this doesn't feel good, right? These are things, but like everything else, it is something that you have to cultivate and develop over time. If you have a musical talent, but you don't give a musical instrument or any musical lessons, they're not going to go very far, amen? Same idea. So the question is, with the first lamp, is how are we using our ability our skill, or our natural bent and intuition for Adonai. The idea is if we're using it for good, think of putting a... Let me think in my pocket. <laughs> Had to hide this from the 
Instead of a uh, flame, I'm going to put an olive. The idea is if we are using our skill, our ability for the Father, then we're going to have plump olive over here. We're going to have that oil. It's going to be full. The next lamp over is class. Understanding. Anybody know the Hebrew? Binah. Very good. So Binah, understanding, and I'll give you the scripture here is first, first Chronicles 12.32. And we know this about when we're talking about Issachar. And it says, of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. So what does it mean to be able to understand the times? You discern, right? You've got to be able to take, take that data and, and place it, put it in its correct spot. Like this is not the time for this. This is, this is not now. This is now. It's the idea. It's the, that uh, second day of creation, a separation, being able to separate this from this, put it in its proper place. Yes, very discretionary, discretionary filters, very good. Discernment. Discernment to put things in order in their proper place or properly separate. So, in the second, how are we keeping the cares of this world separate from our time with our Creator? Are we giving the world more attention than we should? If we are, we're not going to have much oil in our olive. But if we are giving the Father the proper attention and not paying attention on the world as much as we should, we'll have another good olive. Big, plump, fat olive. This is where you want to be fat. Fat is good. All right. So we know we got the first two down. The third one and to tend our lamp is the spirit of? which is Hebrew is etzah. And for this, the scripture we're going to go for 1 Kings 12.8. And this is speaking of King Rehoboam. Right after Solomon passed and we know the trouble, we know that Rehoboam went and he did first. He counseled with the older counselors who told him how to rule and reign with wisdom. And then he went and talked to the younger his buds, right, who said, oh, no, don't go that way. You want to be, you better put, keep them in their place. So it says in 12.8, but he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took the counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. So that actually that first word where it says they abandoned the counsel of the old men is actually etzah. So the idea, the, the good counsel in this example is the one that was uh, ignored. So the question for us is, are we seeking wise and sound counsel? Or are we our own counselors? Now all this I'm telling you, this is like, you know, on me, 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 me first, for sure. So I too often want to take my own counsel. Or 
if we do talk to someone else, are we looking for someone who's going to agree with us? Wise counsel is going to come from the Torah. So no matter who you get counsel from, whether it's from the Word himself or the Father speaking to you in your private time, in your quiet time, or whether it's a person. Pastor Mark will tell you, when he, you go to counsel Pastor Mark Tammy, they'll say, look, I can only tell you what's in this book. I can't really talk outside of this. That's my pay grade. I'm not, a, I'm not a PhD. I'm not certified in all this other stuff, but I can give you the word. And that's exactly what the word counsel we need. So, of course, the fourth spirit is... Get our olive. The spirit of Adonai. That's the, that is the Holy Spirit. It is the Ruach. It is what puts all this together. And like we said earlier, don't quench the spirit. If we're not quenching the spirit, if we're letting him operate in our lives, it'll be a big fat olive. So the number five. Powah. And remind me that I always mess this up because it's spelled G-V. Grua. Gruva. Gruva. You see? See? <laughs> Holy Jesus is like, don't, don't hurt yourself. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. So in Deuteronomy 3.24, we read, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such might works and mighty or gruva acts as these? Move that stone. He's the one that can. He's the one that has that power. It says, we know where our strength and where our power comes from. Amen. But what are we expending it on? When he's given you that power, when that power has flowed in your life, when he's given you that strength of his, he's given you that, those feet to move. Where are those feet moving to? And to accomplish what task? If we're doing things for him, we're accomplishing his task, we're using his power for his good, We'll get a big olive. If we don't, we'll have that little, little squeaky dry olive. What's our sixth one? Knowledge. Da'at. And this is kind of like the, this is the thing that's kind of backwards in, like I said, our, the way we normally use these words. Usually knowledge is what we initially think of as head knowledge. But we use it both in English, both ways. We know someone who really knows something, you know your craft, you've been doing this for 30 or 40 years, you know your job. It's experience. You know it because you didn't, not because you read it in a book, right? You know it because you know it. But there's also a, we use know it as, oh, oh I know that because I just read it, right? So it's that we get both sides of the coin. But the idea here on that sixth lamp is that deep knowledge. So from Exodus 31, 3, this is back, uh, we already read in 31 with Bezazel. I'm just going to pull up 
one, one uh, section of that that says, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. The idea that Bezazel, he was picked, why? He had tons of experience. This guy, this was the man. I mean, you see all the, the different things he worked with, with metal and wood and all that. He was a master craftsman of the time, which father, the father had put him in there. But also, he wasn't, just, he wasn't only just doing this for two or three years. This is somebody that had a lot of experience, and he had that deep knowledge. Like I put, uh, this is not gained by watching a YouTube video. Nothing wrong with YouTube videos. I've got, the, I've got the patch that says I'm a YouTube mechanic. I have fixed many of things in my house, my car, whatever, through the help of YouTube. I'm thankful that people share their knowledge on there. But just because I did it once doesn't mean that I have da'at. All right? If I'm Roger Rogers and busted my knuckles every single day for many, many years... That's where you're going to get the da'at in that. Me doing it once, not so much. So the question is, how are you using the knowledge in your craft, whatever that may be, to glorify the kingdom? I mean, we use our craft to sustain our families, to make a living, but how are you also using that to glorify him? And more deeply to everybody, how are you using the knowledge of the people closest to you to build and edify them? So, children, those that are not married, this would be a relationship with your siblings, the relationship with your parents. Married couples, this is your relationship with your family, but primarily with your spouse. You have that knowledge, that da'at with these people in your family because you've been spent so many years with them. Are you using that knowledge of these other people to manipulate them to get what you want? Or are you using that knowledge of them so that you can find ways to build them up, to empower them, to make them what Yah has destined them to be? I mean, that's, that's the struggle we have all our lives because the, he made us very selfish. We want to take care of ourselves, and a lot of times we do that. Sometimes, you know, with forethought, sometimes, a lot of times with not. We just find ourselves that we are naturally trying to get what we want. So... Once again, this aligns with the sixth day. Once it says, are we acting like the beast that was created on the sixth day, or are we acting like the man? The man is created in the image of Elohim, that we should be looking out for our brothers, for our siblings, for our parents, for our spouses, and looking for ways to build them up and to edify them. Are we acting like the beast? We're just trying to get our own way and figure out how I can manipulate that person to get it. So for edifying, we're uplifting. We get a big fat olive.
And we know what is the last lamp? Reverence, the Erat Adonai, or fear of Adonai. For 2 Chronicles 19.9, this is basically, this is Jehoshaphat in his time when he was actually appointing Levites and priests to oversee judgment in Jerusalem. So that's the context of this verse. And it says, and he charged them, saying, thus you shall, thus you shall do in the fear of the Lord, the Yerat Adonai, in faith, faithfulness and with your whole heart. I like that because it, the fear of the Lord is, is repeated many times in Scripture, but I like how he paired it with the faithfulness and with the whole heart. So do we have that proper fear, respect, and awe of Adonai that's reflected in our everyday words and actions? And once again, because it's at the end, it's no, no coinkydink, that if we don't have these olives going, that olive is going to be lacking. It all does build on each other, and all becomes one. So one thing I wanted to, the Father showed me some things that get in the way of having the plump olive, having that oil flowing in our life, is the struggles that we face. It's the task, right? It's the journey. It's the things that are in front of us, the things that we fight. And he gave me a picture. I'm going to try to, it's walking on me. Hold on, stay now, see if I can relate this, because it will, hopefully it gives you some encouragement. The idea of the path, and go back. I remember Mark Morgan exhorted on this, and there were some other things that came up later. And this, is, this is, I think, before Sukkot. Remember we talked about the idea is that you're at this challenge. You're at this thing in your life. And the idea is that the Heavenly Father is on the other side with an outstretched arm saying, come on, you can do this. Right? The Father, as we know, is silent when the test is going on. But he wants you to go through the test. Come on to the other side. I'm right here. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. Now, I'm not talking about those tests. And we all go through them and we all make it through and we have other tests. But how many have had or are still in a test that's been going on for way too long? Okay? This is what he showed me. Okay. Pictionary. Who can figure out what that is? Hey, there you go. We need to play Pictionary together. That's the hand of God reaching out. <laughs> I know it looks like it looks like Eeyore's tail, but it's it's really the hand of God reaching down, saying, "You can do this. You can do this." Uh, there you go. Better. Hey. Oh, that much much clearer, isn't it? Come on, the stick figures always have like three fingers, right? 
That's true. <laughs> yes, we've, we've. Okay. Here, here's the idea. So picture, obviously, this is, a, this is a path. We're going this way. The father's on the other side, reaching down, saying, come on, you can do this. And the idea, we picture ourselves, and we are for every test. We're over here, evaluating whether I want to go through that or not, right? I don't want to go through that. That's not fun. That's not comfortable. That's wet. And we think, and we're just kind of like stuck there. At least for for those things that we've been going through for a long time, these are the long-term struggles. That's not an accurate picture. I'll show you why. That's an accurate picture for something we've been struggling with for a long time. The idea that we are actually immersed in that filth to a degree and it's kind of like getting in cold water at first it's cold but then eventually your body acclimates and you know it doesn't feel cold anymore so when we're fearing when we're fearing going through that test or that trial realize this actually we're like up to here, and it's that, just that next step that's going to take us a little lower, but then the next step takes us right back out. It's that far away. It's that close. And you don't realize that not only are you through it, you don't realize the junk that's in your life because you're stuck in this mire, because you're chest deep. You just don't realize you're chest deep because you've been in it for so long. When you take that proper perspective and realize, yeah, that next step is going to go a little bit deeper, but he will meet you there, and he will pull you right back out the other side, and not only will you be on the other side, but you'll be out of this, and that can help bring freedom and bring that fresh anointing oil to flow, and to flow in a greater fashion, in a greater manner for you, Amen. In these times of darkness, we are to be light. John 1.5 said, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness could not overcome it. I'd like to, uh, I'll give this, I'll ask Mark this. I know we traditionally, we've been doing a, an anointing on Hanukkah. Um kind of like a rededication, we're rededicating our temple. But I want to think of it a little bit differently. The idea, yes, there is the, if you're backslidden, if you've been going through a lot of troubles and you just want to do that rededication, kind of like that in Christian, right? Who wants to, you know, who wants the salvation or rededicate your life? It's all about that starting over. And sometimes you're at that point in your life and that's what you need to do. Amen. That's, that is what we need to do. 
But I'm talking about having a dedication or a refreshing of your oil to be able to come up, get, a, get an anointing, to have that symbology of having that fresh oil, that fresh olives on you to carry you through into Hanukkah. So when we do that anointing, I would encourage everyone, not just those that feel like they're really in a bad place, but everyone, if you're able, to come forth and to, to go to bring the anointing and to walk in the fresh oil. Because just like the Maccabees, there is a fight. But our fight is not with flesh and blood, but in the mirror and with principalities and power that bring darkness. Hanukkah is literally, literally comes at the darkest time of the year. I mean, we're right at the winter solstice when we have the least amount of daylight. But not only that, Hanukkah always lines up with a Rosh Kodesh. What's happening at Rosh Kodesh? There's no visible moon. Literally the darkest time of the year. So at the darkest time of the year, Yeshua, the light of the world, was implanted in this earth on the festival of life, lights in the midst of great darkness. Let's tend our menorah. It's getting dark outside. Shalom.